This is your award-winning BCFM on 93.2, 24 hours a day. That was Lean On by Pentatonics. Good morning and welcome to One Love, One Planet, the award-winning environmental radio show here on BCFM, where we talk all things environmental in Bristol, the UK and the rest of the world. My name is Shona Jumfrey. I'm presenting this programme for several months for the amazing Penny Southgate, who's having a well-deserved break. We're going to be looking at some news stories related to the environment, both in Bristol and further afield. We're going to play some tunes. And today we have a really exciting interview with Tom, the host of the Great Ant Exhibition. Good morning, Tom. How are you? Good morning, everyone. I'm well, thank you. Oh, lovely to have you here. We're going to be talking all things ants. So welcome to One Love, One Planet. Thank you for joining us and settling for what is sure to be an interesting hour. We'll kick off with our news and then we'll play a bit more music. Um, obviously, we can't go without mentioning the massive heat wave that is still affecting uh, southern Europe and northern Africa. NASA has actually issued a July heat warning as temperatures remain high. This is a headline in Al Jazeera. A wave of extreme heat, wildfires, torrential rain and flooding has wrecked havoc around the world in recent days. Obviously, in the UK, we've been seeing headlines about the temperatures in Greece and how that's affecting holidaymakers. But there are also wildfires in Algeria, which have killed more than 30 people. Scientists rank the Mediterranean region as a climate change hotspot with the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change warning of more heat waves, crop failures, droughts, rising seas and influxes of invasive species. As a blistering heat wave hits Tunisia, migrants and refugees from sub-Saharan African countries are forced to endure unbearable conditions. Um, the temperature in Tunis has reached 50 degrees Celsius on Monday. The day before it was 45 degrees. July's average is normally 33 degrees, so it's been 8 to 15 degrees hotter than normal there. For many in Tunisia, it's just a worrying anomaly, but for people who are living rough in the cities and desert, including migrants and refugees, it is potentially deadly. Many report that the hard ground they lie on it rarely cools, leaving their bodies with little chance to recover from the intense heat of the day, increasing the re- risks of heat exhaustion and stroke. And scientists are, of course, directly linking this higher than average temperature with the climate crisis, saying that it's man-made and it won't get cooler, but there are still things we can do to secure a livable future. You might be wondering, what on earth are those? Well, a headline in the BBC this week, eating less meat is like taking 8 million cars off the road. So if we, if you, if big meat eaters in the UK cut some of it out, then their diet would like be like taking 8 million cars off the road. That's just one of the findings of new research that scientists say gives the most reliable calculation yet of how what we eat impacts our planet. The Oxford University study is the first to pinpoint the difference high and low meat diets have on greenhouse gas emissions, researchers say. The meat industry says the analysis overstated the impact of eating meat, but people who've done the research says that show that if uh, everyone in the UK who's a big meat eater reduced the amount of meat they ate, it would make a big difference. We don't need to completely eradicate meat from our diet. The research shows that a big meat eater's diet, that's someone who eats about 100 grams of meat a day, maybe like a big burger, produces an average of 10 kilograms of planet-warming greenhouse gases each day. A low meat eater, so that's if you eat about 50 grams of meat a day, maybe a couple of sausages, that produces almost half that, at five, about 5 kilograms per day. And for vegan diets, it's even lower, about 2.5 kilograms a day. 
Um, the researchers have said it. In the UK, it's still not accepted that we're eating an amount of meat which is inconsistent with our environmental goals. At the moment, the conversation is not how we're going to do this, but whether it's really necessary. Tom, do, do ants eat meat, remind me? Ants do eat meat, yes. They require protein. Yeah, and they because they help like break down, they help in the wild, don't they? Breaking yeah. down carcasses and stuff. Yes, so definitely. Important. Yeah, and then sometimes people people have started eating ants to get protein. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. In fact, it's been done for quite a long time in some parts of the uh, forests and rainforests. Uh, such things as honeypot ants have been eaten for a long time by tribes people. Honeypot. Does that mean like they taste particularly sweet or something? Yes, they store sugars in their gasters, which make them swell up to much larger than a normal size and they're like little sweets oh well they, so could people we'll be talking more about ant keeping later but are you saying potentially people who keep ants if they kept the sweet ants might be then like mm, snack time and <laughs> it's not something i've heard of from a keeper myself but it wouldn't surprise me in theory it's yes. possible um yeah all right well we'll get on, on to ant keeping in a bit um, another headline in the news, something more positive, BBC headline, the first white-tailed eagle in 240 years is born in the south of England. A white-tailed eagle has been born in the south of England for the first time in 240 years. Conservationists said it was a landmark moment in the mission to return the lost species to the country. The location of the nest has not been disclosed for the bird's welfare in case they return to breed there again. White-tailed eagles are Britain's largest birds of play prey prey with a wingspan of up to 2.5 meters and were once widespread across england human persecution caused their extinction with the last pair breeding in southern england in 1780 a reintroduction project launched in 2019 involves bringing young birds from the wild in scotland over to the isle of Wight. two of the birds who were released by the project in 2020 who are originally from scotland and sutherland they have now reared a male chick earlier this summer the chick has been ringed and fitted with a satellite like tag from the so the team can track its daily progress but this has been uh, hailed as a, a great a great progress great success and then finally one piece of local news this is in bristol 24 7 saying that two new bus routes promise to make cross city travel easier and cheaper two new cross city bus routes have been launched to make travel easier and cheaper for bus users in bristol it will come into force on september the third first west of england is merging four services to make two longer ones as part of a package of changes the first change will see the number 20 number 70 between between the ub french campus and tumbleweed station and the number 90 between philwood park and the city center merge to create a new service every 20 minutes linking knoll to the linking knoll to the university the second change sees the number 73 between bradley stoke and tumblemeads and the number 92 between hengrove and the city center also merge the 73 will also be extended at off-peak times to aztec west business park taking in the whole of woodlands lane uh, these changes come as frustration grows among some in the city who want to bring bus services back under public control. We had a couple of the campaigners from the Reclaim Our Buses campaign in to speak to us on The Breakfast Show uh, a couple weeks ago. And I think that is going to be uploaded to the One Love, One Planet podcast page soon as a little summary of the interview, the campaign and what they're trying to achieve. So do keep an eye out for that. If you have views about the buses, about what needs to change to make them uh, more reliable for people, then do get in touch with us via our WhatsApp. Our WhatsApp is 07501 820075. 
So that is, well, that's a lot of news, but that's our news roundup. Tom, was there any any news that's caught your eye recently or anything you wanted to say about any of that? I haven't actually seen much of the news lately. I saw the wildfires were happening and I was quite worried about that because it's obviously devastating a huge area at the moment. Apart from that, I've been sort of out of touch and busy. You've you've been so busy. Well, (laughs) the reason why you've been busy, we'll come on to, but you've been very, very busy getting ready for the Great Ant Exhibition. So we will come to that shortly. Let's play a bit of music first. And of course, that was I'm Still Standing with Elton John. Welcome back to One Love, One Planet, the environmental programme here on BCFM, where we talk all things environmental in Bristol, the UK and the rest of the world. Today, we have a very uh, uh, exciting and unusual and different interview, all about ants, specifically by ants. We love the whole natural world, but today we're focusing on ants. And we've got Tom from the Great Ant Exhibition, the host and organiser of it, in the studio today to tell us all about it and how we can attend, because it's coming to the Bristol area very soon. Tom, how are you today? I am well. Thank you very much for asking. Well, so please tell us all about the Great Ant Exhibition, because until we started emailing about this, I had not heard of it. I don't know a lot about ants, so tell us all about the exhibition. Okay, so the exhibition has sort of grown out of a love of the hobby of mine. It's, it's, I've lost myself already. (laughs) Um, It's coming to Keensham on the 5th of August at the Wellsway Sports Centre. It's really a big celebration of ant keeping and everything related to the hobby. I've sort of gone all out to make it a great day for everyone that attends. So there's the standard bits like a trade area like you would expect at most of these shows. But we've sort of gone all out with the other bits as well. We want to make it a real family event so we've got entertainers and face painters and uh, lectures and demonstrations going on around the room lots of great things going on around the room all day basically to keep you entertained and learning about ants (laughs) yeah so I mean it sounds like a great family day out and uh, you I mean you say it when I said it was just about ants but you said there's also reptile experiences and animal handling and tarantulas and millipedes and so there's a big variety um yes so when did this all start how how many how long have you been doing it so this is our fourth exhibition we did our first one last august the 27th in bristol and that was it was a great show it was much smaller event and it's somewhat grown since then Uh, we've also hosted one in sheffield and one in weymouth since then as well and we're going to do the same again next year yeah, so you started in Bristol and now you've come, and you've only been going a year, yes. and, but you've uh, sort of come full circle, you're going to do it in, in the, well, in Canesham, in the Bristol area again. And yeah, incredible. And so tell what sort of, um, yeah, how, when did you first get into ant keeping? Well, I've always been interested in ants, but I was never allowed to keep them when I was young. So the minute I turned 18 and got my own place, I got my first ant colony and it's somewhat been a love of mine since then. About three years ago, it really started taking off for us. We created our YouTube channel and it all just started up from there, really. We got more and more ant colonies and now we're sort of, my office is surrounded by them Um, and we've got lots of other inverts and tarantulas and snakes and other interesting things to show the public again education is really what I'm about so we'd like to get into schools and any event that we can get to to show off our ants and what we like to do really. 
Lovely. And so between the ages, so you started when you were 18 and then you took a break for a bit and then like three years or so you got back into it. What were you doing for the, in the break? I did many things. I worked a few jobs. Uh, I was an athlete for a few years, um, competed in a few different competitions. What sort of athlete? I did boxing, triathlon and strongman at the same time. <laughs> at the same time? <laughs> yes. I believe I'm the only person to have done that. Oh, wow. Not 100% on that one. Yeah. So you you properly, yeah, I mean, and maybe there's an affinity with ants there because ants are one of the strongest animals. Very strong, yeah. Yeah, very strong. What sort of drew you to ants? Is there, can you... Can you, is it possible to say or is it just sort I don't of think I can explain it. I've always kind of, I've been asked this question a lot and I've never been able to put my finger really on it. I just, I love everything about them. I love the diversity, uh, the difference in the behaviours between the different ant species. I like what they do with the environment and the vital roles they play in the environment. But I also just like watching them, like watching them dig or carry a leaf. It's really I could sit there for hours. And so you've got you've got some of your own ant farms at home and you watch them and you can see them yeah. digging because you can see them digging your tunnels if you've got like a glass yeah, container. Yeah, so you? we've got a few of those. Um, we've got many different types of enclosures for everything from six foot tanks down to the little boxes and the ones that you can see uh, where they dig themselves. Yeah, uh, it's, it's somewhat taken over. <laughs> taken over, but in a good way because I think you were saying to me all fair that you think most people will be interested in yeah. ants at some yeah. point in their lives. That's your theory. Yeah, I'm, I've always said it. I'm happy to say it for the rest of forever. <laughs> um, I have a strong belief that at least once in your lifetime, it will spark through your brain to, oh, I wonder how cool they are to watch dig or carry in a leaf. If you go to a zoo and you see the leafcutter colony, it will likely take an interest for at least a couple of minutes. And it's like, is that what I want to grab hold of and really say, let's explore this more see what else we can show you and see if it's interesting to you because it it does become interesting rather fast um usually we find people get the ants for their children and it's actually the adults that (laughs) end up getting into it because it is so interesting and there's so much to learn as well yeah and what's i mean what's your favorite type of ant or can you pick a favorite it's like picking a favorite child you feel bad (laughs) It, it, it is a little bit like that so my my favorite would be Either the leaf cutter ant colony, which we'll be bringing with us to Bristol, um, my polyrachis dive colony, which is a type of weaver ant. Uh, they've taken over three large fish tanks now, <laughs> um, connected by a bridge. It's very cool. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, what, like a glass bridge? Or no, or a completely plastic? open air bridge. Um, oh. It's like a branch goes between the three tanks. Do they ever, like, fall off? Occasionally. And how do you get them back in? I just pick them up and put them back in. (laughs) (laughs) I I would advise if anyone else has that issue to use tweezers or cotton ball, but I'm quite experienced. You're used to getting bitten. Yeah, I get bitten quite a lot. Yeah, I've been bitten at least 10 times today. (laughs) (laughs) But if people people can handle ants safer with gloves or tweezers or cotton ball, okay. Yes, definitely. A cotton ball is the best thing for handling ants because it's not... There's not enough pressure to crush the ant, but the ants will stick to them, so you can pick them up quite efficiently. Is it just you sort of pop it on their back, yeah. or you don't even need them to like climb on? No, sort of not thing? really. No. You just press it onto them, and that's it. They're stuck to it for a second. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's so interesting. Most ant species, not all ant species, but lots of them will have little hooks or little spikes or something along that degree on the backs of their bodies, and the cotton wool just sticks to them. 
So sort of like hair, but not really, because obviously yeah. they don't I have mean, hair. I mean, some of them do have little hairs as well. Do they? Yes. I thought yes. only mammals had hairs. No, no. Um, under a microscope, they do have very little hairs. Oh, wow. Yes. Okay. Gosh, I didn't know that. Um, okay, so leafcutter ants, obviously we've, we've seen... Most of us have probably seen pictures or videos of those, and they, they obviously, it's very neat sometimes, yes. isn't it, when you yes. cut it? And then so leaf cutters are very amazing with the way they cut leaf. They use their back legs to anchor onto the leaf, and then they'll cut round it in a circle. And when they've got their cut piece of leaf, it's basically ensured that it's no larger than they are. So that's the carry weight that they can manage. Oh, so they've kind of got a way of judging, like, yeah. is this leaf going to be too big for me? Exactly this piece of that, leaf? yeah, yeah. And then where do they take the leaves? What do they do with them? So they take the leaf back to their fungus chamber. They don't eat the leaf themselves, they eat the fungus. So they take it back to the fungus chamber where much smaller ants will ma- mash it up and place it onto the fungus ball itself and help it grow that way. So it's actually fertilizer to grow their own mushrooms yes. and then they eat the mushrooms. Exactly that. It also acts as a nursery for their brood. Oh, so all the all the little larvae, is yeah, that the word, it, are yeah. like um, tucked in amongst the exactly mushrooms. Exactly that, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. And what about weaver ants? What's, what makes them different? Weaver ants are, they're special because they don't live underground. They nest up in the trees or in bushes. They collect uh, sticks and debris and use their larvae, uh, produce a silk, and they use that to weave their nest together. In, yeah. So like spiders a bit? Yeah, somewhat like that. It looks almost like a bee's nest sometimes, depending okay. on what materials they've used. Um, it becomes almost a paper-like substance, and they live in that, and it's, they're very interesting. Very good at climbing and quite hard to contain. <laughs> <laughs> but do you have some? Or I do. You, you've managed I to do. sort of contain yeah. them? Yeah. They're contained <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> they're contained in yeah. your house, probably. See, um, we... We use sort of temperatures to contain them. Because they're not native, they are we, we always looking for the warmer and more uh, humid environment. So the outside of the office is a lot cooler than inside of the tank. They leave on occasion, but you find that they don't go far. Uh, so you're sort of like, you try and be like, no, 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 stay here. Yeah. This is nice and warm. This is what you're used That's to. That's it. I mean, in ant keeping, we use barriers of different descriptions. Uh, alcohol and talcum powder is quite regular to use. What, 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 sorry, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like a, a wizard yeah. uh, potion knife. So you mix the rubbing alcohol and talcum powder together and you place it on the glass or whatever your enclosure is. Give it 10 minutes and the rubbing alcohol will evaporate away, leaving behind a residue of talcum powder, which makes it really hard for them to cross. Oh, so is because it's like sticky or it's uh, like... It, it's fragile. It's fragile. So oh. as they try to walk over it, it falls with them on it. Oh, okay. So so you mix the, al- the rubbing alcohol and the talcum powder together, smear yeah. it on the wherever you want your boundary to be. It's like it, a force field. Exactly that, yeah. Exactly that. It works most of the time. Um, and obviously you have to keep reapplying it. And there is a few different variations of the barriers. And we do use it, like overuse it on this tank quite possibly, but they do still find a way out. <laughs> I, I say it's they got to the point now... Um, I forget what it's called, but when you've got so many or something, the random events are going to increase. Mm. Well, we've got 
between 10 and 20,000 ants in there probably so in your office in one room in just that one enclosure oh my god in that just that one just the one enclosure tank yeah Um, wow so the likeliness is that one or two might get out occasionally what's like an average size for like an ant farm or an ant enclosure it it really depends on the species so um most ants being um, monogamous only one queen will possibly max out about 10,000 workers some ant species max out about 200 workers um, but then you can get some colonies like my polyrachis dives where they can gain multiple queens they can produce more queens and they can grow into i'm not really sure um, <laughs> there are some species like more and them where they can grow into the millions with thousands of queens i suppose it because obviously each queen can only produce so many baby ants so you have to at some point she needs a break or she can't do it anymore yeah yeah there is that um we always like to give them a break especially native ants if they so native ants require hibernation and we've noticed that if they don't gain that full eight weeks hibernation that they need there is a detrimental effect to the queens later in life and so native ants, you mean ants that are native to the yes, UK? Yes, yes. Oh, and which which kind of ants would we know that are native or how many are native? So we've got about 56 species of ant in the UK registered at the moment. It might fluctuate slightly, but about 56. Mm-hmm. Most of them you won't see. Um, some of them are just in areas where mm-hmm. you're going you're gonna to have to know what you're looking for to try and find them. Whereas some of them, like the black garden ant that we get outside, very, very common, very, very easy to keep um, and not harmful at all to us, which is quite nice. Uh, most UK ants are fairly easy to keep, but not all. Not all. Not all. <laughs> okay. Well, we will come on to more ant keeping advice. Uh, we're going to play some more music, but then we'll be back with more ant keeping advice. Um, we'll also talk all about Flying Ant Day and what that actually is when you see all the ants and how, yeah, how you can potentially keep ants or find out more about it or go to the exhibition. So we'll just play some music and then we will be with you shortly. And there you have Shut Up and Dance by Walk the Moon. And we are here in the studio, BCFM. We are the One Love, One Planet show. Welcome back. We've been talking to Tom from the Great Ant Exhibition, all about ants, learning loads of interesting facts. The Great Ant Exhibition is coming to Kingsham on the 5th of August at Wellsway Sports Centre. And Tom, uh, we're just going to dive back into it. And you were telling us all about you keep thousands and thousands of ants <laughs> in your office. Um and that you're, this is something that's been a, like a lifelong passion for you. How would you, if someone's listening to this and is like, this sounds really interesting, ants sound quite unusual, you know, how, how difficult is it to start to become an ant keeper? Where would you sort of recommend people start? So that is, it's a really great question, actually. First, I would say come along to the exhibition <laughs> because it's, there's going to be so many ant keepers there. Like you will get to talk to someone. You get to talk to me if you come find me. I'll literally talk to anyone. <laughs> I'll, I'll take the time out. I don't mind. I love talking about it. But it's just there's going to be such a wealth of experience there. Like come along and have a chat to someone. See what you think. Just have a look at the ants. Have a look at the setups, and you know, just have a talk really and there's gonna be like university lectures as well yes, like that you said. Yeah, i mean there's, there'll, be, there'll be there's the fun stuff like the face painting and there's the reptile handling but then there's also experts like 
university lecturers and someone who's going to help people overcome phobias? Yes, yeah, we have, um, I forget the actual term for it, but a phobia breakdown person. Yeah, they're going to help you tackle those phobias of any tarantulas or just general inverts because uh, I think there is a lot of that general uh, fear and stigma attached to it and it's although they are to be respected, I don't think they should be feared the way they are. Because you said you've got a tarantula or you've yes. had one and you didn't like one until you got it. Yeah, I, I was never really into tarantulas or snakes for that uh, until I had one. And it's once I got them and started learning more the, more about them and just seeing their actual behaviour, it's really changed my view on it. I mean, uh, my I was always worried about my snake. Like I was always worried about being bitten by a snake. But then when you try and feed the snake and he literally won't eat, <laughs> it's like okay You're maybe like, i've got the opposite problem yeah maybe maybe he's not going to strike at me so fast you know he might go for the mouse before he goes yeah. for me but if he if he bothers to eat at all yeah, he's just, yeah. yeah. so it really changes your view on it like. <laughs> amazing and i mean yeah because this is the exhibition's been going from strength to strength you said you've had a letter from david attenborough about your work yeah yeah uh, so last year we got a acknowledgement from david attenborough so david attenborough about our great work and bringing it to the wider population just telling us to keep going with it basically don't give up oh that's so lovely yeah um and yeah because ants are i think it's one of those things where they're everywhere or they're you know almost everywhere but we sort of i think they're on every continent except antarctica yes, is that right exactly um but we don't really think about them, except sometimes when Flying Ant Day happens. Can you explain what Flying Ant Day is? <laughs> so Flying Ant Day, to the majority of people, it's just an annoyance. To ant keepers, that is the magical day where the princesses leave the nest, and they fly and meet the males from other nests, and they mate, and they fall to the ground and tear off their wings. What? what? The, so the princesses tear off their own wings? Yes. So wow. They tear off their wings because they're not needed anymore. Quite often they will eat them. Not in all cases, but again, it's just that extra bit of protein. Oh my yeah. God. Okay, wow. So before leaving the nest, they would have been fattened up by all the other workers and stored all that protein up. And then they mate and then they um, land and rip off their wings. They dig a claustral chamber and that's where they lay their first eggs. And they use all that stored protein and fats to bring up their first brood. And that's when they'll go out and start feeding for themselves when those workers start to arrive. And that's when the princesses turn into queens, is that the, right? The princesses are queens the minute they tear off their wings, really. Wow, gosh, that, yeah. And, and, and because, but it all happens sort of on the same day. Like, how yeah. do you... How do they all sort of coordinate? Do they have a WhatsApp group where they are like, let's do it today? That would make it easier for us. Um, <laughs> it's, it's somewhat to do with the atmosphere and the pressure. It's usually after a big storm in the middle of July, really, July, August sort of time. It needs to be quite warm and then a big storm and then humidity afterwards. And it, it can be very localised. So you could have a flying ant situation two miles up the road, but nothing in front of you. Or it could be countrywide at the same time. It's, it's sort of random in that. So in the last week or so, we've had sporadic um, flying ant days. We call them nuptial flights. Um, that sounds much nicer. <laughs> yes. So we've had sporadic nuptial flights around the UK, but I don't think we've had the full thing yet because, I mean, I might be wrong. I'm yet to, I 
expect they'll be proven wrong. But I've not seen the full country go yet, and I haven't seen the numbers that I would expect this year. So I fully expect we're we're due to have it yet, which is a great chance for any new ant keepers to go out and catch one. How do you catch an How do you catch an ant? Do you have like a tiny net? <laughs> um, again, that would make it easier. <laughs> um, no, I use a cotton wool ball, and so you get a test tube. You put a bit of fresh water in the end, then a cotton wool ball to block it. Then you place your ant inside with a cotton wool ball. As I said earlier, it's the easiest way to pick them up. And then block that with cotton wool again. Wrap it in tinfoil or something to make that test tube dark and leave them for eight weeks. Don't look at them, don't touch them, don't do anything. And they'll have enough air and everything. Because of the cotton wool, the air continues to flow through as long as it's not pressed too tight. Um, And they've got the humidity and water provided in the tube and obviously she's already fed up and stored up all the fats and proteins she needs so uh, you don't look at her for about eight weeks and at that point she should either have workers or be very close to having workers and that's when you start to feed well that's a that's magic so like yeah you you catch you you have to obviously catch the right one because if you catch a male flying ant then there's no point you will know a difference males look more like a fly they're very small in comparison, especially if you go for the black garden ant outside. Very small in comparison, almost like a mosquito. Okay, so you want one of the bigger ones who's already torn her wings off, pop her in a test tube with water and cotton wool, wrap it up in tin foil, put it somewhere dark, and then abracadabra, fingers crossed, if all goes well, yes. eight weeks later, you should have the start of your very own ant farm. That's it. The hardest part of ant keeping is the patience. There's a lot of waiting and a lot of patience involved. Try not to look or touch at your ants after you've just caught them is honestly the hardest thing and where most keepers will actually struggle and fail. Um, Just exposing them to light basically makes them think that their nest has been found. So they have a tendency to dig, uh, eat their eggs and want to dig a new nest somewhere else. So it's that uh, taking back all the protein and trying to start again essentially uh something you want to avoid okay yeah so once people have the start of their own uh ant farm then they need to obviously get like a tank with soil or something and some plants for the ants to go eat yeah i mean the best way to do that is to check on my website ants on a rock we sell pretty much everything that you could possibly need and if we don't sell it yet we will very soon (laughs) um we sell all the foods the housing the barriers the ants themselves Uh, but we also do a subscription service where it's more about the learning than the actual products you get although you get it's hard to explain but you get the ants you get the housing you get the food you get the barriers you literally get every bit of equipment that you should need for if you choose the whole year course for the whole year you won't need to buy anything but you also get fact sheets and learning guides which tell you exactly what you need to do as and when so like we won't send you the housing until the fourth month but we send you the ants on the first month and that again is just to teach you the patience of keeping them in the test tube and letting them grow that way um so it's it's a great way of learning if you can stick at it. Yeah. How, when you say sending ants, like how do you transport ants, both like in small quantities, but then you're also talking about moving thousands and thousands for the exhibition. How do you do that? So uh, when we're just sending them out in the post or if someone's bought them, it is fairly easy in the test tube. We wrap the test tubes very well and we package the packages really, really well. My wife is in charge of that. Um, 
and really we've not had any complaints or any issues on that front the issue is always moving the big colonies yeah um so my leaf cutter colony we've designed to be moved it's in a box with lid uh, with handles and things like that which is quite easy to be moved it needs to be plugged into a battery pack because it needs constant power and things like that um but the other ones are a little bit more testing so if it's a bioactive situation where it's lots of soil and they've dug their own nest i tend to uh, overwater the colony for a few days to make all the substrate really damp and sticky just so it tends to hold itself together a bit more and then really we're just super careful sometimes we fill the inside of the box with um cotton wool or bubble wrap and then i have to take the ants off it one at a time wow <laughs> yeah we we did that with the bullet ants once um not the proper bullet ants they're asian bullet ants so slightly less painful than the proper ones <laughs> um we did it with them once and i've regretted it ever since <laughs> you were like that was painful yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's not something you want to be doing is picking no. them off no so um but generally they're fairly easy to move as long as you're careful and you take a lot of like consideration and preparation time so we wrap everything and make sure it's very secure nothing's going to slide about and we take out any loose items from inside the enclosures as well any sticks or stones or even the water towers that they use just because again we don't want them rolling about wow gosh yeah so it's a proper operation to get them all um yeah so remind people how they can um yeah, where they can find out more information about the exhibition or your uh, ant company in general and uh, when and where the event is. Yeah, okay. So my ant company, you can find out all the information on my website, antsontherock.com. Um, there's plenty of information there. We're also on almost every social media that I can think of, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, TikTok, Discord. You're on TikTok? Yeah, we're, wow. on, we're <laughs> on pretty much everything. Obviously, YouTube as well, so subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't yet. Um, yeah. Um, we're pretty much anywhere, and you can send us a message on anywhere, and I will get back to you fairly fast. If I don't, one of my helpers will. Um, I've got a great, great team of helpers, which I, I can't forget them, because without them, I wouldn't be able to do the shows. Um, they all volunteer their time amazingly, and, yeah, I... I could have done it all on my own, for sure. Yeah. Um, they are amazingly knowledgeable and amazingly helpful and they're very kind for helping me over a whole year now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like your own little ant colony of yeah, people helping yeah, each other, like is. the ants, you can't do it by yourself. That's it. Like I said, I couldn't do it without them and like the support they give me in the background as well whilst I'm organizing it and I don't have a clue what I'm doing I've always got someone to fall back on you know we have got a committee involved as well to help make the decisions but sometimes I do feel like I'm just shooting in the dark sometimes yeah. it's good to have people who bounce ideas off as well so yeah I've I owe them a lot really the show owes them a lot Oh, well, thank you so much to everyone who's been making it happen. So it is on the 5th of August at Wellsway Sports Centre in Canesham between 10am and 4pm. Yes, that's and, it. Yeah. And how much is it to enter? It's just £5 for adults. Under 13s is completely free and we have a half price discount for anyone with a valid NHS ID. 
Lovely. And so obviously there's everything about ants, but there's also things about reptiles and spiders. There's face painting. So it's like a full little day out if you're maybe if, if people are kids are bored yeah. at home, you yeah. know, take them to go see some ants and tarantulas. Yeah, definitely. We've also got a raffle with some brilliant prizes. Like um, we've got a family day out at the Bristol Aerospace Museum, uh, gift cards towards laser tag and lots of other ant related prizes as well. But just an all round great, uh, great selection. Lovely. And all the money from the raffle goes back to making the next exhibition happen. Yeah, yeah. So we are non-profit. All of our money, if we do make profit it will go back into the exhibition and back into the community as well we look for research uh, projects and things to make donations towards but really it's about trying to trying to get it to almost self-fund itself at this point because we do have sponsors we have the amazing answer us who's sponsored us for a long time now he's been phenomenal with his help and um support for us without him we would have never been able to host the first show let alone our fourth um we also have unseen universe again he's he's come on board and he's just like gone running at it you know he's really been very helpful supporting me and the show all round. so yeah a massive thank you to them as well yeah and if if there's any potential sponsors listening and they don't have to be ant related but anyone who just loves ants and wants to help make it happen then obviously they should get in touch as well yeah definitely to, to bring the future shows even further afield Lovely. Well, thanks so much for coming in and talking to us, Tom. Is there any final messages you'd like to like to give our listeners? Um, a final message? That's always a hard one. <laughs> Just, I hope that people do come along to the show. And if you do, I hope you have a good day. It's, you know, it's been a love of mine and a passion. And I, I just hope I've done it right and made a great day for everyone. Well, it sounds like you've reached hundreds of people already and you'll reach hundreds more. So good luck. And remember, everyone, if you want to find out more about any of that, just go to antsonarock.com. That was Let's Do It Again uh, by Jamie XX. And thank you again to Tom from the Great Ant Exhibition for coming in and speaking to us. Uh, that was really interesting. I learned loads about ants I did not know about before. The Great Ant Exhibition is happening in Canesham at the Sports Centre on Saturday, the 5th of August. You can buy tickets on the door or in person. You can buy them on the door in cash or card. Um, sorry, you can buy them or you can buy them online. At, um, just go to antsonarock.com to find out more about any of that or to order your own ant keeping kit if that's something you want to start. Uh, yeah, that brings us almost to the end of our show. Please do join us next week when we're going to be talking to Deb and Simon from St. Matthew's. This is a Bristol church uh, which is uh, tr- working hard to try and tackle their carbon footprint and tackle the climate crisis through uh, what both their services and what they do uh, with their church building. Uh, they have initiated and uh, installed some groundbreaking chandeliers, which are infrared. And these are being trialled at St. Matthew's. Um, they have garnered a huge amount of interest from churches across the country. There have been lots of people from other churches coming to look at them. So some groundbreaking work going on in terms of how the church uses its heat and light. And so we're going to find out a lot more about that next week. Um, St. Matthew's also have gardens where they don't use chemicals and one is set aside for wildlife and they've reached the Arosha Silver Award for Sustainability. So we will be speaking to them and finding out more about 
how they have made this happen and how churches and places of faith and buildings in general can help tackle the climate crisis. So I think that's all for today. So do keep it locked to BCFM for more tunes and chat. And yeah, we'll see you next week. That's all from me, Shona Jemfrey, for now. So please take care. Have a good day. Look after yourselves. Look after the planet and look after each other. This is the podcast version of One Love, One Planet, the award-winning environmental radio show broadcast every Tuesday at 11am on BCFM radio available on 93.2 FM on digital radio and on the BCFM website. The show was produced and presented by Shona Jemfrey. You can find us on Twitter at Shona Jemfrey and at BCFM radio.